This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa Podcast. It was announced Wednesday that the Manhattan Grand Jury in the Stormy Daniels hush money case will be taking a pause and isn't expected to hear evidence in the case for the next month. This previously scheduled hiatus could push an indictment to late April. Or an indictment could happen tomorrow. Now look, folks, I'm just a witness in this case and not the prosecution. So I can't say for sure what this current holdup is all about or if it's even legitimate. But I wouldn't tell the hundreds of journalists patiently waiting outside of the courtroom in downtown Manhattan to go home just yet. Just because there is a scheduled vacation coming up doesn't mean that in the remaining days from then until now, Alvin Bragg couldn't call the grand jury back to vote. Well, they are coming in tomorrow and Monday. The reporting is that they're coming in to hear a different case. And they might be coming in to hear a different case. But that doesn't mean they're also not going to be charged and vote on this case. It doesn't take that long to charge and vote. It could take, I'd say in this case, I would probably leave an hour, uh, maybe hour and a half at most. But So you could, there could still be an indictment tomorrow or Monday in this case. Whether they get Donald Trump this month or next, in Manhattan or Fulton County, or in Washington, D.C., in all fairness, it makes no fucking difference. The only thing that matters is that they do their jobs and indict him if he's liable or responsible. So bring him to trial and let the law take its course. Fareed, we either have the rule of law or we have no rule of law. The rule of law does not take into account if that might make you a martyr to somebody. I'd much rather have the conversation be, what is the law? What exactly are we saying that, that he did? His lawyer went to jail for this same situation for a couple of years. So what is the crime? Is it a crime? The there reason are people who say it's selective prosecution, that this would not... Everything is get. selective prosecution. The reason why Donald Trump became popular in the first place and the reason why these populist movements is that the citizenry have become fed up with the lack of accountability for those in power. However, according to legal analyst Glenn Kirshner, Trump's disgusting social media post aimed at Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg breaks state and federal laws. I mean, especially the image of Trump with a baseball bat looking like he's about to clobber Bragg. I mean, what? You threaten the district attorney Alvin Bragg like some fucking punk thug and then you think you're going to get away with it? Well, whatever, Donald, we'll just add it to your tab. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. On top of the charges in the hush money case, there's Letitia James' enormous civil lawsuit against Trump and his kids that could put them all out of business forever. It involves years and years of financial fraud, tax fraud, insurance fraud. I mean, all the frauds, just name them. Naturally, Trump has been trying to stall this case too, but... At a hearing in Lower Manhattan last week, State Supreme Court Justice Arthur Engeron told their lawyers that the October trial date he'd already set for the case is, and I quote, written in stone and won't be moved under any circumstance. Now, as you may recall, Jack Smith's special counsel is investigating Trump's election interference, the insurrection, and the obstruction of the certification of the Electoral College vote on January 6th. Jack Smith is also investigating the stolen classified documents that Trump stashed at Mar-a-Lardo. Maybe. 
Maybe not. Maybe fuck yourself. Now that case has been compounded by Trump's false certification that claimed that the items had all been returned. Well, guess what? They hadn't been. And now, just last week, a federal judge ordered Trump's lawyer, Evan Corcoran, to testify using the crime fraud exception rule to the attorney-client privilege. So, the way I see it, Corcoran's fucking screwed. Just like all of Trump's legal counsel will eventually be if they haven't been already. Like me. In our thing, you get sent for, you go in alive, you come out dead, and it's your best friend that does it. Jack Smith also appears to be investigating Trump's Save America PAC, which raised millions of dollars under the false pretense that Trump had won the 2020 election and actually needed money to get back into the White House. I mean, seriously? And re-defeat Biden or defend himself against the libs or whatever the fuck that the guy came up with. Who are these suckers emptying out their bank accounts to prop up Donald Trump? This case, sometimes known as the big ripoff, has developed as Smith has gotten further into his investigation of January 6th, which by all accounts has now snowballed in recent weeks. You got a corpse in a car, minus a head in a garage. So let's now go to Georgia, because in Georgia, Trump is under investigation for election fraud, where there's new reporting that Fonnie Willis, the Fulton County DA, is seriously considering a RICO charge. And sometimes, my friends, we forget, but Trump faces numerous charges in serious civil matters, like the defamation case brought by E. Jean Carroll after she claimed in her memoir that Trump had raped her. Now, Trump called her numerous things. I mean, he called her a dog and that she wasn't his type. Carroll lost her job as an advice columnist in Elle magazine as the scandal heated up. But the case will now go to trial in less than a month. So fear not, seekers of justice, because justice is coming. And I know it's frustrating now, but the time prosecutors spend now perfecting their cases against the Trump crime syndicate will be well worth it in the end. And it also looks like Mike Pence is finally going to be compelled to talk. This week, a federal judge ordered the former vice president to testify before Jack Smith's grand jury. We'll be speaking with our attorneys in Washington before the end of the week and sorting out uh, what our next steps are. Uh, I obviously have nothing to hide. I've, I've been speaking about those uh, days, uh, writing about them extensively over the last two years. Grand jury proceedings are secret by law, but we now know that Mike Pence lost on the executive privilege front and that the judge is letting Pence use the speech and debate clause in that shields him from having to talk about what happened during the Capitol riots. But who the fuck cares? I mean, we all saw it live on television. We know what happened on January 6th. And Pence will have to testify about what happened leading up to January 6th. And that's what really counts. You can either go down in history as a patriot or you can go down in history as a pussy. To which Pence replied, what's that? Now, right now, I'm sure that Pence is now gaming out his testimony against the man that tried to have him killed trying to do damage control for his own campaign, which only stands a chance if Trump is knocked out of the running. If Pence can say to the MAGA base that he defended Trump until he was forced to go under oath, well, they might put the noose away for now. And now for this week's school shooting. 
We moved to Nashville, Tennessee. I mean, this is fucking gross, my friends, and I don't make light of it. Where a relatively young person opened fire on a Christian school and killed six people. Three of whom were nine-year-old kids, and three of them were school administrators. Now, there were some heroes in this case, like Nashville police were well-trained and bravely ran into harm's way, trying to protect the other children. But an entire generation of children are going to be traumatized by gun violence. Freaking cowards! They're gutless! They're not here! I'm talking about gun violence! You know, there's never been... I'm talking about gun violence! ...in a school that allows teachers to carry... Carry guns? You think more guns lead to more death? More guns lead to more death! Look at the data! You're not looking at any data! You're carrying the water for the gun lobby! No, no, Look at the data! More guns lead to more deaths! And everybody keeps saying, oh, on the right, on the right, teachers now have to accept that it's just a matter of time before their school is targeted by a shooter. And parents dropping off their kids each day are living in fear. I mean, is it worth it in America? What the fuck are we doing? Well, let's move on to another thing that makes no fucking sense. Some late-breaking news from the state of Florida. The new board appointed by Governor Ron DeSantis that essentially was going to oversee Walt Disney World's government services apparently may not have any actual real power. That is because the day before the new board took over, Disney pushed through quiet measures that would heavily limit the new board's authority for at least the next few decades. Thus, I guess, giving the power back to Disney. I mean, has Disneyland outfoxed Captain White Rainboots, AKA Ron Dorksantis, AKA Meatball Ron, AKA Ron DeSanctimonious? Well, I think so. And according to the Orlando Sentinel, Wednesday, Ron's brand new hand-picked Republican board tasked with overseeing Disney World's reedy clique claimed that they're gearing up for a legal battle over a development agreement that effectively renders them powerless to manage what Disney does in Central Florida for generations to come. Or, as the agreement states, and I quote, until 21 years after the death of the last survivor of the descendants of King Charles III, King of England. Is the Florida governor removing the existing board, which was largely controlled by Disney, and handpicking new members to occupy the board of Disney's local governing body, which is now called the Central Florida Tourism Oversight District. The idea with this adversarial board controlling Disney's infrastructure is to keep Disney in check. That's the idea, uh, that's sort of the sales pitch that we got uh, with the governor doing this. On the day before the Florida House voted to put Death Santis in charge of Reedy Creek, the Disney-backed board that was about to be replaced held a public meeting discussing the amendment before unanimously approving it. The new declaration bars DeSantis from using the Disney name or any Disney characters without the corporation's approval. And it also allows Disney to develop and build on their own property or even sell if they so desire without the current board having any say. It's just one more consequence of regressive Ron's don't say gay laws. So sorry, Dope Santis, the mouse has roared. 
and you fucking lose again. Miska, Mosca, Mickey Mouse. Now, lastly, this is a follow-up to a story that has to do with the other fucking jerk off my pillow guy, Mike Lindell, and his latest attempt to subvert the logic of thousands of voters in Shasta County, California. The new Shasta County leadership now has a plan to cancel the county's relationship with Dominion voting systems. Dominion has been providing election machines to Shasta County for decades, but Dominion is also at the center of the baseless election fraud conspiracy pushed by Donald Trump and conservative media. And so now, in the conservatopia of Shasta County, Dominion has got to go. Tuesday, the Shasta Board of Supervisors voted three to two to hand count every single ballot in the county. Despite a stern warning that California and federal laws require electronic voting systems to be used unless there is a significant reason for concern voiced by the county register, well, there is no such reason. So seriously, scratch your head, folks, and say, what the fuck? Breaking news, next election, Shasta County will be counting ballots by hand. Today, county supervisors decided between four options, negotiating with two other voter systems, rescinding their decision to cancel their contract with Dominion, or provide an alternate option like hand counting ballots. Action News Now spoke to some of the dozens of people at the meeting about what they were hoping to see happen. My hope is they'll see the light, realize their mistake, and, and rescind the termination of the Dominion contract. And while hand counts are a valuable tool during recounts, they are extremely time-consuming and subject to human error. But red counties and blue states are regularly being made fools of by the likes of Mike Lindell. I mean, could you imagine this guy's making fools of somebody other than himself? As well as the rest of the election fraud conspiracy community. Now, it sounds nice when I say community, when what I really mean is a fucking cult. The same thing happened in Cochise County, Arizona during the midterms. And sadly, I can't tell you if it's not gonna ever happen again. I mean, sowing chaos and distrust into our democratic system of voting is the actual mission of the MAGA Republicans as they look towards the presidential election in 2024. But let's hope that the Dominion and Smartmatic lawsuits blow the lid off this big fucking lie and takes the whole fucking rotten cult down with them. And now for the main event. This week we welcome David L. Marcus to our show. Marcus has worked as a foreign correspondent, education reporter, and columnist at the Boston Globe, at the Miami Herald, Newsday, and US News. David Marcus has worked as a foreign correspondent, education reporter, and columnist at the Boston Globe, the Miami Herald, Newsday, and US News. As South America bureau chief for the Dallas Morning News, he shared the Pulitzer Prize for international reporting for a series about violence against women. David wrote two books about education and parenting entitled What It Takes to Pull Me Through and Acceptance. His articles have appeared in the New York Times, in Vanity Fair, Newsweek, and GQ magazine, just to name a few. Oh, here's an interesting fact about David. Dave Marcus also, by coincidence, happens to be the cousin of the infamous lawyer, Roy Cohn. He wrote a quintessential piece about Cohn for Vanity Fair shortly after his death. 
I mean, this is really amazing stuff. So let's go now to that conversation. Okay, so welcome, Dave, and great to have you on the show. Most people don't know that Dave Marcus is Roy Cohn's cousin, and you have a particular historic perspective, because I understand that you can also draw a line from your cousin, Roy Cohn, the famous criminal attorney, to Joe McCarthy, to even George Santos, who was elected to represent your district in Congress. What does that line look like? Explain it to my listeners, please. Sure, Michael. And it's really a pleasure to be with you. I, I am a huge fan, and I think that the Justice Department owes you an apology. We can talk about that later. The line from Roy Cohn to almost everything evil in this country, whether it's Roger Stone or Donald Trump or George Santos, is direct. It's, it's nefarious. Um, it consists of lies. It consists of attacks when... Uh, when there should be no attacks. And it's unfortunately, it's nonstop. It just keeps going. It's whether it's Lauren Boebert or 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 the the sort of the, the evil we see around us or Kevin McCarthy lying in Congress. It just doesn't stop. Well, do me a favor. St- let's start by going into your relationship. How are you actually related to Roy Cohn? Because I believe Roy's mom was Dora Marcus, and he's, of course, Roy Marcus Cohn. So tell me the family relation, because you actually don't really, yeah, you know, you, you don't look like them. <laughs> Not that, of course, I mean, I don't look like my cousins. I don't look like my cousins either, but that's besides That's the, the greatest compliment anybody's paid me for years. Uh, uh, Michael, and I, I want to just pause for you younger listeners. A lot of us know Roy Cohn because he was on the stage in the United States for three plus decades and in fact, he was the mentor. He was the the, the instructor. He was a coach uh, for for Donald uh, Trump, who was his protege. But we should start by saying to people who don't know, Roy Cohn lived this crazy uh, a life like nobody could live these days, where he was at the center of power in Washington and New York, and all by doing bad things, all by going after people. And so before I tell you how it's related, I'll just say for younger listeners who don't know, um, at age 23, just 23, right out of Columbia Law School, he prosecuted Julius and Ethel Rosenberg. And again, not everybody knows who they were, but it was a tragic time in this country in the early 1950s um, when they were convicted of passing um, atomic secrets to the Soviets, to the Russians. This is a very this is an irony when we talk about later how Donald Trump sucked up to the Russians, but we'll get to that later. Um, the important thing is that Roy was my father's cousin. My father was a teacher. My father refused to talk to Roy since childhood. Um, Roy was a spoiled little kid uh, growing up in New York, and somehow, incredibly, he ingratiated himself into power. Uh, he became the 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 mafia lawyer, the really lawyer the quintessential, really the quintessential fixer. Oh, they totally. They called you the fixer, Michael. No offense to you, but you got nothing on Roy Cohn because you actually you you came around. You had a you had a conscience. Roy never had a shred of doubt about what he did. He never admitted he was wrong. And we'll talk about his three rules that that Donald Trump absorbed, unfortunately. But anyway, he was my cousin, and my. Parents refused to speak to him. Uh, there's actually a story I'll tell another time about why 
my parents sort of got together because of him and why I was born because of him. It's too complicated now. But the important thing is that when I was in college at Brown University, I was doing a story. I was doing a, a paper about the McCarthy era. And I was doing another paper about the Rosenbergs. And I went to talk to Roy. I was a college student. I was his cousin. He knew who I was. We had been at family parties together. And I, I want to stress this, Michael. I did not like him. I did not admire him. But he was a font of history. He was a historical figure. So I started talking to him. And then later, when I was out of college and I was a young journalist at the Miami Herald, I said to Roy Cohn, I'd like to shadow you for a while and do a story because you're in the news. He was in the news because he said he had liver cancer. Now, we all knew that he was he had AIDS. And because this will sound familiar, he was under legal problems. He not only had these health problems, but also he had financial problems because the IRS was looking into him. Does that sound like Donald Trump now? I think it does. Yeah, in fact, the story on Roy, when it came to the IRS's, even after they got a massive judgment against him, they couldn't touch him because he legitimately had nothing. Talk about being a forward thinker. He had nothing in his name. Everything was in the name of trusts and corporations, and they were not able to pierce that veil. He really showed the IRS some loopholes that they had in the laws that they ultimately tried to change, which, of course, is why we have an 88,000-page uh, you know, IRS manual. But what's interesting, a lot of people also don't know this, is, yes, it was Roger Stone in the 1980s who actually introduced Roy to Donald. Now, on top of that, not only did Roy at some point in time, represent as the quintessential fixer, Donald, but he also represented, if I'm not mistaken, Alan Dershowitz, uh, Steve Rubell, Ian Schrager, Rupert Murdoch. I mean, you know, Senator Joe McCarthy. This guy really had a veritable who's who. But that's not even talking about his connections to the underworld. You know, I'll tell you a funny story. I actually met Roy when I was a young boy around 14 or so years old. I met him at the El Carib in Mill Basin, Brooklyn, where he came to spend an afternoon with a couple of friends of his, or I say maybe clients, uh, who I happen to know quite well. Two were, I think, with the Genovese family. One was with the um, Bonanno family. I mean, they weren't part of the same families, but I had a chance to sit down and to meet him. He was an incredibly entertaining guy. I mean, you know, he was quite funny. I remember it as a kid. And he asked me what I wanted to do when I got older. And I told him I wanted to go on Wall Street. And he said to me, no, I think you would be better as a lawyer. He goes, I think you should be, I, I really do. I think he goes, I think you should become a lawyer. Now, it's very interesting because NBC actually had an article quite some time ago where <laughs> in one of their blocks, they write, Cohen was at least, and I'm sorry, Roy Cohn was at least the first of two personal lawyers for Trump to be disbarred, right? The second was Michael Cohen, uh, more recent attorney and fixer, uh, who gave porn star Stormy Daniels hush money to keep her quiet about an alleged sexual tryst with, with Donald Trump. So it is kind of funny, you know, the names are so similar and the title of Fixer is obviously so similar, yet, yes, I agree with you. We are actually two very, very different people. 
So, and I'll, and I'll say, um, I sometimes thought of you when, when Trump was wandering around the White House saying, where's my Roy Cohn? He, he kind of had wanted you initially to be his Roy Cohn. Fortunately for him, he found Bill Barr. Uh, he found some other people. I, I just want to correct one thing, uh, Michael, that there's a misconception. Donald Trump and Roy Cohn met in 1973 at a place called Le Club, which was a place on the east part of uh, Manhattan, midtown Manhattan. And Roger Stone was not in the picture yet. This was 1973. And Donald Trump was a 27 year old sort of, you know, rich kid whose daddy had a real estate company. Um, and they found they had a couple of things in common. They both had sort of parents with dysfunctional marriages. They both were like outer borough kids uh, growing up with their their noses and their and their faces pressed to the glass of Manhattan, the, the glamour of Manhattan. So Trump was out in Queens. And even though they had wealthy, they had money in the mansion, they were nothing for Manhattanites and the wealthy Manhattan. And Roy, of course, had started his life in the Bronx. His father was a judge, a low level judge there. And they both aspired to be in society. And when they met, Roy, of course, was about at the peak of his power. And Donald Trump said, yay, Roy Cohn, you know, I got this problem. I, we own these buildings and the Department of Justice is looking into them, saying that we're, we're uh, discriminating against um, black tenants, which is exactly true. And Roy Cohn said famously, and this, I believe, changed the course of history, the course of Trump's life, the course of our lives. Roy Cohn said, do not compromise. Do not give in. Just fight them back. And soon enough, Roy Cohn was Trump's lawyer. And incredibly, a first year law student would know you can't do this. They sued, they countersued the Justice Department for $100 million with a huge press conference. Of course, that suit went nowhere. Of course, Trump did quietly settle this, this charge because he was discriminating against black tenants. But that that was what sealed their their relationship, their friendship. Yeah, but you're not wrong about that, where it's always fight to the death. Donald Trump does not understand the concept of repercussions because, yes, he had his fixers, right? He had Roy Cohn um, that was there that managed to, I can't say financially get them always out of trouble, but you didn't take the beating that anybody else would have taken. And that was definitely Roy Cohn's advice to him because Donald used to parrot that all the time in the office. He goes, I don't settle. I don't settle. When you settle, it's a sign of weakness. Well, it's sometimes it's also smart of intelligence, um, but that wouldn't be what he was sort of ingrained as a result of your cousin. It's fight everything to the death. And it doesn't matter about the documents. And this is one of the reasons why I do believe that Alvin Bragg right now is still um, putting together the papers if, in fact, there's going to be an indictment. Uh, I personally believe that there will be. But he needs to make sure that those papers are not just an A+. Plus. They have to be an A++ if that even exists, because this becomes a historical document. I mean, this is like this is like the Constitution. It's going to be this is like, you know, the Magna Carta or the Emancipation Proclamation. It has to be worded so perfectly and it has to answer basically the questions that they're going to get attacked on. Knowing again, Donald Trump, fight, fight, fight. Here's the difference, though. Roy was actually a brilliant lawyer. 
Devious is all hell, but brilliant in terms of strategy and execution. He doesn't have that now, right? Who does he have? This guy, Joe Tacopino, right? Taco, Taco Penis, you know, as, or he's got Alina Habadaba, who's sitting there taking photos of herself with him for her birthday, the two of them alone. It's a little fucking weird. But the, you start to look to see every lawyer that is of value has walked away from him. Some of us, of course, not because initially we wanted to, but because we had to. But every decent lawyer in New York has walked away from him because over the years he's fucked them all over. He doesn't pay legal bills. He wants to guide the legal strategy despite the fact that in most cases his legal strategy is illegal in and of itself. Well, Michael, I mean, maybe Bragg and maybe you are overreacting. I mean... You got to look back at President Lincoln was paying off porn stars all the time, wasn't he? Oh, wait. No, he wasn't. Forget it. Um, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's just like I'm just saying like they're they just you got to We have to step back seriously. Like in this country, we have a president who paid off a porn star. Like if Obama had done that, as always, as you always say, can you imagine Obama would be in the bottom of a prison somewhere in Mississippi, like a federal prison? This is crazy. The stuff that Trump did sucking up to the Russians, as I said, um, giving away secrets, stealing documents, then lying about it, or taking documents and lying about it. We left. It just goes on and on and on. And this is all out of the Roy Cohn playbook. Because when Roy, when I was, so I started to say, I followed Roy around for what turned out to be the last year of his life, because he did succumb to things that we can talk about that I think ultimately is a lesson for what's going to happen to Trump. He did succumb to things. But I followed him around and I took notes copiously and I wrote a Vanity Fair story about what turned out to be the final year of Roy Cohn's life. He died at age 59 of, of complications of AIDS. And he told me his three rules, which he passed on to Trump. Never surrender. Always counterattack. And no matter what happens, claim victory. That is the Trump playbook. You, you were asked to carry that playbook out. And we're not... We have not stepped back into reality world for a while in this country. This shouldn't happen. A president shouldn't be doing these things. And you, I should say, should never have paid the the fine the the with your own life, with your with your with your health. You should never have paid the the, the penance for what he did. What I I was saying to a friend of mine that it's like if Trump were a bank robber and went to rob a bank and. In that bank, he threw you a box of lollipops and then he took all the money and he left. And then you, with your box of lollipops, you went to prison. Like, this is ridiculous. Like, he has not ever, ever, ever paid a sanction, a price for all the misdeeds he's done. And it's about time that happens. And I think it is going to happen, if not in New York, in Georgia. If not in Georgia, then what's happening with the federal case. But man, the wheels of justice in his case when he has money and he has lawyers to do things, the wheels of justice are certainly slow and creaky. Yeah, but, you know, actually, your cousin, uh, Roy, had one additional rule, and Donald was fastidious in it. Never have your fingerprints on anything. That was an old mob rule, right, which is no, you don't talk to me, you talk to Joe, and then Joe will speak to me, and that way there's always a distinction that was a line. That was something that I know that Roy had taught and imparted upon him, because as you know, one of the issues that Donald 
is very proud of is the fact that he's never had an email address and he doesn't text. He has other people, you know, text for him. It's ingenious. And that, I was going to say, when I was in Roy's office, Roy, any lawyer would be scrupulous about taking notes with his clients. But Roy had John Gotti, the Teflon Don there. Uh, he had, you know, um, he had George Steinbrenner. He had he knew everybody's secrets. And he was incredible about not leaving a paper trail of anything. And and Trump did learn from him about that. And I'll tell you something interesting. I was at a birthday party for Roy, which turned out to be his last birthday party um, before he died. And Trump would always come to these parties and just make an appearance. He didn't hang out. He was too important. He said, but when he walked in the room, Roy was all eyes for him. I always thought that Roy was sort of attracted to him in, in more than a friend way. But Trump didn't reciprocate. It's just that Roy liked kind of big, blonde, hunky guys. Remember, Donald, you know, 150 pounds ago, Donald was a good looking guy when he was 27 or 37. And Donald walked in and he gave a little speech for Roy's birthday party. His speech was, Roy is probably the worst lawyer around. He doesn't do anything for me. But when he writes a letter to somebody scaring them off, they stop bothering me. That was the extent of his speech. That's not the exact quote. Yeah. I have the exact quote, but that's the essence of it. And so that was the other thing about Roy that that, Donald, that Trump learned, which is if you just file lawsuits and you just go and barrage in the press, you can stop. You can stop the wheels of justice, as I said. That's what's happened. And that is right out of yeah. Roy's playbook and everything he did. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's funny that you say I ended up and I've been yelling from the rooftops for six years. I tried to explain it to Judge William H. Pauley III uh, at the Southern District of New York, who refused to listen to anything that I had to say, showing I have never tax evaded. I never misrepresented a thing to any bank. I've never, and this Pauley even acknowledged, that I've never owed a single dollar to any individual or any institution ever. I've never filed a late tax return. I've never asked for an extension, never had an overseas nominee, never had an overseas business, that all of the deposits were by check into Capital One Bank that was located at the base of the building. There is not a single element in law of tax evasion, but yet, on a Friday at 5.30 p.m., they tell my lawyer, either Michael comes in on a Monday, first thing in the morning, so what the fuck are you supposed to do over the weekend, right? You're, you're hamstringed. Or we file an 80-page indictment that includes my wife. Well, I had no choice. And so I mean, even my book, Revenge, I talk about this at length. Instead, when I tried to show them that this HELOC violation is bullshit, Instead, what they said, well, if you're not going to accept liability on this, it's a three-point increase in your sentence, which can mean up to another nine years. First time in my life that I've ever had an issue with police. Well, it's actually the second. My first one was in 1985. I was driving home from, I was driving to college from my home in, you know, from New York to D.C., and um, I got pulled over. My one and only speeding ticket my entire life. That's my entire interaction with police. And then you have these motherfuckers like this, you know, these TV talking head lawyers, right, that think that there's something special, that they're a bunch of, as we like to say, Talmud Chachams, right, geniuses amongst geniuses of the Talmud, when they don't know shit, they speak from their hip, they speak in order to get clickbaits and all that, they know none of the facts, and worse than that, what makes them fucking stupid and ignorant 
ignorant is the fact that they don't read. Just read Revenge and you'll understand. Not only was I set up by Donald and his Department of Justice the very first time, and we know that because of Jeffrey Berman's book, but an unconstitutional remand. But you still have yet like lawyers like Danny Savalos, who's on NBC and MSNBC, or Paula Reed. They love to take these cheap shots at me. Meanwhile, not one of them has done a goddamn thing to help to hold Donald Trump accountable. I keep fighting. And one thing that people have to understand, I never became a cooperating witness. I cooperated, but I was not a 5K1 cooperating witness, which is why I didn't receive a single second of any minute, of any hour, of any day, of any year as a benefit for anything that I've done. All that this has done is cost me my time and a whole lot of money. But let me move on for one second here, Dave, because we all know that Trump was famously a mentee of Roy's. But what did, what did Roy really think about Donald? I mean, would he have been surprised that Donald became president? Because something very important about Roy to note is that he thought of himself as a patriot. He really thought of himself as an American patriot. Do you think that he'd be okay, for example, with Trump's January 6th insurrection? So, Michael, this is something I pondered, this is something I've written about, and you just got to the essence of the question because it, it, is, it, is, it has two prongs, the answer. On the first part, Roy crazily, oddly, in the 1980s, predicted that Trump would be president. Nobody thought of, president, of Trump. Now, look, I grew up in New York. You grew up in New York. I, I saw Trump again and again as a journalist because I was at Roy's parties, Roy's events. Trump was, you know, a, a, a guy with ADHD who had a rich daddy and, and a real estate company at a time when it was very profitable to be in real estate in New York. Um, he was no genius then. Um, he was no charmer then. And to think of him as president was was crazy. And yet Roy recognized in Donald this kind of reptilian sort of refusal to, to, to you know, just this, this need for power, this need for, for, for attention. And Roy nurtured that. There's no question about it. Roy loved Donald as much as Roy could love anybody. And and yet and yet. Roy was like Donald. He was transactional. He didn't really believe in anything. I mean, wasn't Donald Trump just supporting Planned Parenthood a few years ago, as I recall? And now he's Mr. Anti-Abortion. It makes no sense at all. But Roy's one belief was that the Soviet Union, that Russia was really our rival, that Russia wanted, that the Soviet Union wanted to crush us. And I still think that while Roy would not care about the insurrection, uh, the horrible insurrection on January 6th, which, by the way, killed police officers and injured police officers. Um, and Roy and Donald supposedly believe in, you know, protecting the blue. I do think that Roy would be furious about Donald just cuddling up to to Putin. In fact, I sometimes accidentally call call him uh, Vladimir Trump. It's just incredible that that he did that because this Roy was all about anti-communism because his, you know, his political views were, were formed when the Soviet Union was really our rival and we were both developing atomic weapons. But he, while he really didn't believe in very in anything, I mean, he was gay, but he was anti, but he's after gay. 
after Gates. He was Jewish, but he was an anti-Semite. It didn't make sense. But he did not did not tolerate Russia and their Russian leadership, the, then the Soviet Union. And I think he would be really, really disgusted by by Trump's kind of um, need. Even the other day, Trump was was praising Putin, Putin, who to launch a war against a country against Ukraine. It's incredible. I think Roy would not have liked that. No, I'm sure he wouldn't. But, you know, I'm going to go and I'm going to now do another comparison between Roy and myself. In the end, Trump betrayed Roy Cohen as well. So no surprise there. But how did Roy feel about being dismissed by one of, at that time, was declared, I mean, he's one of Donald's closest clients and friends. It's exactly the same as, as with me. I mean, you know, how many stories called me Donald's Pitbull, his fixer, you know, uh, a vile attorney that filed lawsuits on Donald's behalf, you know, where most people wouldn't do it, right? Um, too many, too many of these people, right? How did Roy feel about that? So I'm so glad you asked because that's sort of the untold story of, the, of their relationship, of the end of their relationship, Michael. So as I said, they got to be fast friends starting in the early 1970s. And this lasted for 13 years or so through the 1980s. But, and, and I should say, this Roy, you, all the things that Trump became famous for early in his career were because of Roy. Trump built Trump Tower because Roy got him abatements. Roy paid off politicians. Roy got the mafia um, to, to do some construction work that nobody was doing at that time. Roy got the whole New York City real estate development, as you know, back then was completely corrupt. And Roy he was able to get him. The con he was able to get him the concrete that he wasn't able to get because there was a strike. But, That's right. but the unions were basically in bed with the mafia and somehow concrete arrived for in, in bundles and bundles for Trump Tower, which used a lot of concrete. Also, they got rid of a historic building that had been there, which ne that never should have happened. But whatever, Roy, Roy paid off people that happened. But for all that he did, Roy expected loyalty. He expected loyalty from Trump. And I saw Roy in early 1986 when he looked terrible he was frazzled and he his um he had you know wounds on him and stuff and he had aids although he said he had liver cancer and when it became well known in those circles that roy was losing his memory a little bit that roy was out of it a little bit that roy was losing his power his clout guess who dumped him like a cold potato trump did Trump all of a sudden stopped calling him, stopped seeing him, and Roy was really hurt by that. This is this is a few months before he actually died in July of 1986. Now, again, I don't feel sorry for Roy. I'm not defending Roy, but I'm telling you that that is, I just said that, they, that Trump and Roy were both transactional in their natures. Trump's transaction was with you, Michael Cohn, and with Roy Marcus Cohn was, hey, you're not of use to me anymore. Goodbye. Yeah, and that's... Certainly, Donald, you know, there was an article in um, The Week, and um, they actually quote Roy's longtime secretary, a woman by the name of Susan Bell, as saying that as soon as Donald found out that Roy had AIDS, he dropped him like a hot potato. And I have to tell you, 
over the course of the years, there were several of, we'll call them Trump's uh, contemporaries who had kids who contracted AIDS and so on. Being the germaphobe, I mean, just moron that he is, he doesn't understand and he didn't want to understand. His belief is that by breathing the same air that he could have contracted AIDS and so on. Um, and that, of course, freaked him out very much. You know, how he's shaking people's hands now, just so you understand, he carries with him a whole series of these wipes, these alcohol wipes, and everybody in the office used them, myself included. Now, the hospital, one time I went, I see them there, I go, it's in a purple bottle, and it says, do not use this on exposed hands, you're supposed to use them with rubber gloves. We would use them as hand wipes. They were, um, you know, really super strong that they cause cancer and all this other stuff. And his belief is that that's a lie, that this will this kills all germs. It's why we never get sick, why he never catches a cold or anything like that. But one of the things that this woman, Susan Bell, turned around and she said is that Donald pisses ice water. Well, I can tell you that's not really true. It's not true. To the world, he shows himself as this fearless leader, as this, you know, this behemoth, right? This Goliath who pisses ice water, nothing gets to him, etc. That's not true. When you see Trump get angry and when you see him starting to feel like the caged rat that he is, then you start to see the things that he does. For example, look at the way he attacks, he attacked me at his speech in Waco. Look at the way he attacked Alvin Bragg, our attorney general here, Tish James, uh, Fannie Willis, the DA in Georgia, Jack Smith, anybody that he deems as a threat to him. What does he do? And this is, again, something that Roy sort of told him, fight, you fight like hell. You denigrate, and you denigrate, and you denigrate them. So if you notice, when I turned around and I had said before the House Oversight Committee that Donald Trump is a racist, I really want people to stop for a second. And when Donald Trump refers to Alvin Bragg or Animal. Tish James as animals, why is he saying that? He only says that to people who are black. Then turn around and look at his last one with Meatball DeSantis, who, if it wasn't for Donald, he'd be working at a pizza parlor. Another sort of you know, um, connotation, right? That what, all Italian people only work at pizzerias, right? Um, clearly, that's not accurate. Um, and let's not talk about his and his anti-Semitic stance. And I couldn't believe Michael- And his anti-Semitic tropes, like for example, everything, you know, about the left, of course, is coming from uh, George Soros, who yeah. is, I mean, this, that- anti-Semitic trope has been going on for a very long time. But that's something that, in all fairness, um, your cousin, you know, taught him that you fight like hell, you never give up, and eventually, because you have money, you could wear them down. Well, despite the fact he's not nearly as wealthy as he purported, he's not nearly as wealthy as he even was before, he still has more than enough money to make people's lives miserable. And with these stupid, sycophantic followers that are basically giving up their, you know, their, their dollars that they 
really don't have to give. He's collected now hundreds of millions of dollars. And if they would read, for example, the the underlying documents of the um, super PAC that they keep putting the money into. I don't know if you know this, but Donald gets to keep. He could use at his own discretion 90 cents of every dollar. So it's basically a donation. And the other 10%, he can just give to people like Lauren Boebert, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Josh Hawley, Matt Gates, Ted Cruz, whoever he wants to give it to, right? McCarthy, he could give it to whoever he wants to give it to. And that constitutes the 10%. It's really, it's, it's fucking pathetic. But let me just so move like on I- and ask you this. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do want to address something. So I was amazed that he, and all the things that he should worry about in Waco, he went on attack against you. How about the fact that school kids are getting slaughtered in this country? There have been 130 massacres so far in this country. How about the fact that that his buddies in Congress and his buddies in state houses are worrying about drag shows, not gun shows? How about the fact that they're restricting women's rights to reproductive freedom. It's incredible. But I and I don't want to defend his supporters, but I will say that, you know, like you, I grew up in the New York area. I then I lived in Florida as a journalist. I lived in Texas as a journalist. I lived overseas as a journalist. And what I saw is regular people are so regular. And you said this on your show. Regular people are so busy just trying to make ends meet and get the babies, get the kids to school and get food on the table that if you have a clever way of manipulating them, of feeding them information, of making somebody else a scapegoat, of making them hate somebody else, you can get incredible power. That's what dictators do. And that's what he's done massively. And I'm not making excuses for people, but I know this is what happens. I've seen it. I've been in houses where they're watching Fox News all the time and they believe this stuff. They don't have the time to go read contrary things. They don't have schools that are teaching to be critical thinkers. Right. But you're 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 spot on. So, for example, what's the issues that I have, for example, like with Paula Reed or with this asshole Danny Savalos? What's my issue? They only speak half sentences. They speak Trump now. They're actually speaking Trump language. When they turn around, they say Cohen has no credibility, right? His credibility needs to come into question because he is a convicted perjurer. You got to finish the sentence. I say this over and over again. They don't want to finish the sentence because the sentence doesn't benefit them. The finishing of the sentence is what I lied about. I lied at the direction of, in coordination with, and for the benefit of Donald Trump. Now, still, if they would have read Revenge, if they would listen, or if they would do even the most minute amount of investigation, just go to Google and understand what the lie was that I told Congress. And the lie was the number of times that I spoke to Donald about a failed real estate project in Moscow that was supposed to be known as the Trump Tower Moscow Project. I told the Senate Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, where I was subpoenaed to appear, and Donald told me to go. I told them three times. And the true true number was 10. That's my lie. So listen up, Danny, you half-bag moron, right? Half-wit fucking personal injury, you know, guy running around. Oh my God, he did criminal defense work. Listen up. At the end of the day, all right, if you think that that's going to stop 
the district attorney from using me as the key witness, if you think that that stopped Letitia James from crediting me for her investigation or the investigation that ultimately has Alan Weisselberg right now in Rikers or the 17 counts against the Trump organization. If you really want to be honest and fair, you want to pretend to be a real lawyer, why don't you look into the corruption from the Southern District of New York? 40, I literally had 48 hours to agree to plead guilty or they were going to file an indictment and perp walk both myself and my wife out of our homes which I could not do. Now, maybe he doesn't care about his significant other, and that's very possible. But me, not a chance in the world. I said to my lawyer, fuck that. I'll just man up and I'll deal with it. And our hope is that Judge William H. Pauly III, who I believe was an anti-Semite anyway, right? You know, he's from, I think, that Garden City, uh, Mineola type area where no Jews are allowed. I thought we would be able to get information to him so that he could understand that there was no tax evasion. There was no misrepresentation. In fact, Danny, since I hope you're listening, in fact, I never paid, despite the reports, I never paid Karen McDougal. That's the second affair that Donald Trump had. That was paid by David Pecker. But you know what the SDNY did? They gave him full immunity on this. So look, at the end of the day, it is what it is. But Dave, let me ask you this then. Because Roy was also very close with Rupert Murdoch. Yes. In your opinion, as a journalist, is Murdoch the same sort of person as Cohn? Is Murdoch the same type of person as Donald? And what was Roy's and Rupert's relationship like, if you know? Yes, I certainly do know. And, and um, Rupert, if you and your um, wonderful kids are listening, I, I want to just wish you a happy fifth marriage. Very exciting news. Um, so Yes, Mazel. So, so this is very interesting. Um, as I told you, Roy sort of created Donald Trump, but he also created Rupert Murdoch in a lot of ways. So Rupert Murdoch came here. He also met Roy in the 1970s. And remember, he was not a big deal in the United States, Rupert Murdoch. He, he bought the New York Post, which had been a very liberal newspaper. And Roy needed that newspaper because younger people don't understand. But in the 1980s, page six, the gossip page of the, of the Post was where you found out everything that was going on, everything that was was leaked to page six. In fact, Roy Cohn was leaking it. There was a there was a saying that people had that Roy Cohn would get a case to be a divorce lawyer for someone in the morning. And by the afternoon, he leaked all the details to the New York Post. And he parlayed that. So that he and Rupert Murdoch became friends. Murdoch was a client of his. Um, and he and I believe it's been said that Rupert, that Roy introduced Rupert Murdoch to Donald Trump. But he certainly introduced him to Ronald Reagan, who was who was running for president and became president. And and that was a frightening thing, because what happened was Rupert Murdoch started endorsing Reagan and 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 Roy Cohn's was a, was. The connection with Roger Stone, the money man for Reagan, um, as he was running. So basically, Reagan, when he got into office, he loosened the rules so that that was what created Fox News. Reagan changed the rule. It used to be that a publisher of a newspaper could not own a TV station in the same city, New York Post, New York uh, Fox newspaper. But but he changed it, loosened it up. So Rupert Murdoch got newspapers in Boston. 
in New York. He got TV stations everywhere. And that was the genesis. That was the origin of Fox News. Listen, you know, these amazing things have come out about about his nightly hosts and what they really think of Trump and what they really think of their own viewers. But Rupert Murdoch, like Trump, is immune to everything. Now, let me ask you, Michael, why are we allowing, why is the justice, why is the Department of Defense allowing Fox News to be played at all its bases when Fox News is for an insurrection? Why are we not, why were, I mean, look, I'm a Democrat, although I have voted for Republicans and I have worked for a Republican too. I'm a middle of the road Democrat, but I am sorry. This is a ridiculous situation where a, a, a new so-called news station, news network, that wants to undermine democracy is allowed to play at U.S. bases. It should be banned. It's ridiculous. And Rupert somebody Murdoch, should be, yes, yeah, somebody should be asking that exact question to well, Joe Biden and the administration. Well, I find it, I find it infuriating. I find Merrick Garland to be infuriating. You know, I just, I just don't that. understand. There's so many great things that Joe Biden is doing. Now, you know, you may, you'll remember this. Ed Koch had the very famous line, right? If you agree with me six out of 12 times, you should vote for me. If you agree with me 12 out of 12 times, you should see a psychiatrist. Agreed. I don't agree with Joe Biden 12 out of 12 times. I don't. Do I agree with him six out of 12 times? It's possible. Maybe it's five out of 12. But I believe that Joe Biden is doing a very good job for the country. I believe our DOJ under this Biden administration is pathetic. I really do. I think that they are, it's not even slow walking this shit. This is molasses through a strainer. And you know what? The American people deserve better. All right. We need We need somebody not like Bill Barr, who was willing to carry Donald's water and to break the law in, in essence, to incarcerate a U.S. citizen because, right, violate my First Amendment constitutional right so that my first book, Disloyal, would not have been released. That's not normal shit. But you need somebody that's like a, a genesis between um, between uh, Merrick Garland and Bill Barr, somebody who's willing to move, not at a snail's pace, but willing to take the calculated risks. Merrick Garland, it's like Joe Biden may not even be president by the time that any of this stuff comes through. And that's disgusting. But, you know, one of the things kind of like Roy Cohn that I was well known for in terms of handling for Trump and for other people is crisis management. That's really what it's really what Roy was spectacular at um and i would except consider that, myself to be would, except that roy would create the crisis and then he'd have to fix it and solve it and he was paid for both <laughs> well sure why not right now i started a company called crisis x and i've had some pretty well-known you know clients um you know who ask me how to handle things and to set up strategies for them and so on i ask you this question because again as a journalist I personally believe, and if I was representing Rupert uh, and Fox in this Dominion defamation case, I would never allow this case to go to trial. All right? I, I, I just wouldn't. I, would, I wouldn't pay $1.6 billion either. I just don't think that they have any shot at that number because there's no way in the world they will be able to prove those in terms of damages. And again, I don't have all their information, but that's a huge number. Do you think that Murdoch miscalculated or 
despite his age, maybe he has some sort of ace up his sleeve. That's why he is doing what he's doing. Because, again, as somebody who is pretty fucking astute in crisis management as I am, right? Um, I wouldn't take this route at all. I, Michael, I am blown away by this because, frankly, Fox News brings in so Fox brings in so much money that if they just said under you know behind the, they got a Roy Cohn and they said, listen, we're going to pay you 1.6 billion. Everybody's going to be quiet, um, or 1.8 billion, or two billion. I'm amazed they've let this go on. Now that now allegations of sexual harassment have come out, these 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 texts have come out. Um, it's demeaning. It's 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 incredible what it what it shows about the hypocrisy of Fox. But I think that it really got out of control. Rupert Murdoch's old. He's been busy with you know wife number getting ready with wife number five. His kids. If you watch Succession, his kids are divided against uh, against each other. Um, and who knows. Um, you know, whose allies he has, whether it's China or Russia, who's, you know, where his Saudi Arabia, where his loyalties are. But I think ultimately they're going to blink and they're going to settle because they do not want this going to trial. And it's just money for him. He's got plenty of money. I, I really think he's going to find a way to settle. Dominion has played this brilliantly. And by the way, there's another company coming up with their loose lawsuit against him. And by the way, these allegations of sexual harassment which were sort of not taken seriously years ago under the Roger Ailes time are much more people are recognizing that this is really serious. So uh, is it going to be the end of the demise of Fox News? Of course not. They're thriving, but it's going to really ding their reputation. Now, honest, oddly, I was watching, I watch Fox sometimes. I was watching Fox yesterday when School children were killed, were slain in Tennessee in a Christian school. And you know what Fox News was obsessed with? The fact that Biden is asking to do some government spending while there's inflation. I'm sorry, but kids are being slain and they're not writing. They're not talking about the fact that our wonderful Congress won't deal with banning assault weapons. Listen, I've been out shooting with friends at, at a shooting range. OK, and, you know, just I mean, just you know, skeet shooting and stuff like that. I'm not opposed to guns at all, but we do not need assault rifles in this country. And Fox News, you would think that the NRA was in charge of Fox News. It's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. I, I think that Fox News is not going to get its comeuppance. But to your point before, Michael, Merrick Garland, if Merrick Garland was, was you know, taking orders in McDonald's and I ordered something today from him, I'd have to come back in two years to get my, my Big Mac. It's ridiculous. I mean, I don't know. He's a good person. He was screwed by Mitch McConnell. Like he should know if anybody should. He wanted to be a Supreme Court judge. He would have been a great justice. But he has no spine. I don't know what's going on with that justice, with him, Justice Department. But I do think, I really do think, I don't always believe in karma, but I saw this with Roy Cohn. Ultimately, Roy Cohn was done in by his health. And remember what Trump eats, KFC and everything. His health is not great. You've seen him. You've seen what he looks like these days. Roy Cohn was done in because he was disbarred two months before he died. And he was done in by his, his money problems, the IRS problems. I think that Trump is heading down that road. And I, I think it's not there yet. Remember, Roy Cohn was indicted four times in his lifetime. And each time he was acquitted. But ultimately, ultimately, it all caught up with him. Well, yeah. Look, I never wish anybody ill health uh, and, and all. I just, 
do not understand how a guy who's morbidly obese, who eats, you know, like a fucking billy goat, you know, um, you know, manages to just keep on trucking along. And so he does. I'm more concerned, really, with the rhetoric than I am with the man itself, though he look, he has a certain gift. He is the gift of a cult leader. He manages to use simple words because he's appealing, as he said, you know, to stupid people. I like the poorly educated, not my words, his words. And he manages to somehow do this with not just the poorly educated, like myself, like a Roy Cohn, right? Like, you know, a Ted Cruz or any of these other members of Congress or, you know, Mitch McConnell, well, Mitch isn't so into his favor, or Rupert Murdoch. You're not talking about poorly educated people, but he has an ability, whether it's the way when he speaks, he sings. I don't know, maybe it's some sort of a trance that he puts people into, but this notion, this notion that he's going to be able to make it throughout What's going to be a very rough time for him is like, what, five different potential indictments coming? And this is another thing, too, because everybody keeps saying, oh, you know, Alvin Bragg's case is the weakest of them all. And they're relying on a convicted perjurer and so on. This is the part like, again, where Savalos, by the way, to all my listeners, just go onto his Twitter and just tweet to him on behalf of Michael Cohen. Fuck you. Right. He has no idea what he's saying. Explain to me the notion why it is that if Alvin Bragg happens to, by coincidence, be the first to indict, explain to me then why they think that that stops Fannie Willis from indicting. How does that stop Tish James's civil suit against Trump? How does it stop um, Jack Smith's two cases, the Mar-a-Lardo documents case and then the January 6th insurrection case? How does it stop anything? And the answer is, it doesn't. It doesn't. Now, hoping, my hope is that Alvin Bragg is the first because somebody has to have the balls to do what so many are just concerned about. And I believe after the first one, there's a better than likely chance in an expeditious way, the next one will come and then so on and so forth. Right. And also, I, well, first of all, I, I hope Melania right now is in, in listening to you and she's in Mar-a-Lago or wherever she's in hiding right now. And she's on Amazon ordering an extra, extra, extra large orange jumpsuit for him because that would be a nice white. Yeah, you could get that actually on my uh, on my merchandise. We have the oh, uh, 45. Yeah. But I do want to say, but I do want to say I, to your point, this, this is what my problem is with this country. We're so inured. We're so overwhelmed. We're so we're so. We're so blind to what's happening. If somebody paid off a porn star in New York State, it doesn't matter who you're paying off. You cannot lie about your business expenses, which you did. And federal law is you cannot lie in your on about your spending and when you're in an election. And so you're exactly right. Like it doesn't matter if it was Stormy Daniels. It doesn't matter if it was somebody else. He committed. These are these are. Crimes and people routinely in New York are prosecuted for lying about business expenses. So why is he immune? Why does he always get off? Now, I think because you've gone and talked to them, um, they 
have to act. I don't know what's going to happen with with Reg. It seems like there's been a lot of delays. And as I recall, Trump has now raised more than a million dollars off the fact that over over two over two and a half. Out over two and a half over the fact that he was going to be hauled away a week ago, Tuesday. So, and, and I'm talking to you. Uh, I'm talking to you on a Wednesday, a week later. It's really frustrating, Michael. And it's and it's and it. And I don't see why we have RICO. We have all kinds of rule, laws in this country so that a, a person like you, who just does the dirty deed for somebody who's ordered to do the dirty deed, you're you're not supposed to pay. You're no offense to you because you're you're an amazing person, but you're the small fry in this. You're not supposed to be doing the prison time. Dave, Dave, I did what I did and I owned what I did. I lied to Congress, despite the fact it was a de minimis lie done at the direction of in coordination with him for the benefit of Donald J. Trump. I did what I did with Stormy Daniels, which I did at the direction of in coordination with and at the, you know, for the benefit of Donald J. Trump. I did not pay Karen McDougal, that was, you know, though I was charged with it, I was fined with it, and it was part of my sentence. I did not commit tax evasion, nor did I misrepresent shit to the bank, all right? End of, you know, end of story when it came to the HELOC and the application. But we're going to put all that aside because, again, journalists or talking heads, they just don't want to hear it, no matter how many times, no matter how great my book Revenge ended up doing— Yes, the people who are educated, who read, they understand. But those that are out there, they just keep listening to this orange-crusted Mandarin Mussolini buffoon. But let me ask you this question, Dave, because you began your career as a journalist, and you're still being published. So what do you think that the role of American journalists should be now? Because, like I was just saying, MAGAs pay no attention to the mainstream media. So how is truthful journalism ever supposed to break through to them? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. How many hours do you have, Michael? Um, uh, not so, much more. <laughs> Michael, I, I'm a huge believer in great journalism, and I've seen great journalism. I've seen it practiced, but I've also seen budget cuts. I've seen just the 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 the, the way the, the business is run has been... Um, you know, huge conglomerates taking over newspapers and, and, and TV stations. It's tragic. There's still so many wonderful, courageous journalists out there. But the fact is, we this is not like when, you know, the old days when Walter Cronkite would get on TV and sort of stay in the stentorian voice, you know, what the news was and everybody would take their little piece of it. But there was sort of there was a sense that there was a truth, that there was a middle ground, that there was a, a, a love of America, patriotism. Now it's all divided by places like Fox and OAN and all these places. And what you have is regular Americans are so cynical and so so buffeted by so many forces, they don't know what to believe. And there is great journalism being done online, in newspapers, and occasionally, occasionally on TV every day. But it's just so hard to get through the noise. And you mentioned Trump. Like Trump is a genius in not in the, the way we would want a genius as a president. He's a genius in talking to people in very simple languages, you said. And Democrats, you know, the Democrats have to talk in big policy terms and so forth. It's very hard to get through to people when you have a politician or a bunch of politicians now who can just demonize people, who can take your attention away from school shootings. From the fact that people are struggling in this country, the fact that healthcare stinks for most people in this country, they know how to find little, little fiery things to bring attention to. And so good journalism 
takes time, takes space, takes money, takes explanation. And right now, the journalists are fighting a fight against a culture that, that is a TikTok culture. That's another thing we can talk about TikTok. But but it's it's the attention span of Americans is the attention span of mosquitoes on a summer day. It's just it's just it's horrible. Nice. And I see journalists trying to get through, but so to really explain a situation like you're talking about, like like what are the legal why does Michael Cohn do time when Trump doesn't? Why, why does Fanny, why does it take time in Georgia to go to the grand jury and build a case? It's really frustrating to explain to people. And so they just, they just, they don't, they tune out. And that's the tragedy of this country. Yeah, it sure is. Now, Dave, the, look, the hour goes by very quickly. I say this all the time. I've just really one last question for you here. You've worked in college admissions, amongst other things. I mean, you have, you know, quite the uh, eclectic career. You even wrote a book about it. A lot of young people today are unsure about college. And lots of these young people seem to think that they'll do just fine without higher education. Many of them also are concerned because they don't want to take on the debt. What advice would you give to parents and students today as far as colleges and the need for higher education? What areas? I mean, we're watching as more and more companies now are actually rolling back jobs. I mean, they're they're cutting jobs. Some of the very big firms like the Amazons of the world. Um, what advice would you give parents and students today? Well, I can tell you if I could take the, uh, the place of my a uh, wonderful, ethical, caring Congressman George Santos. That's a joke. If I could take the place of George Santos and get to Congress, I would do three things, Michael, a- as a parent and as a legislator. First of all, I would make vocational education much better and skills training much better and community colleges much more robust and free for people who earn, let's say, under families that earn under 150000 whatever it may be. I would make community college free. Second, I would have a national year of service, a gap year where you either go to the military or you do civilian conservation corps, you or you tutor, you you do something for your country to give back. And third, I would make it so that college loans to nonprofit colleges, state college, state universities, nonprofit colleges around the country are very low interest. I would not make them free, but I would make them very, very low interest and easy to pay off. If you become a teacher, if you become a cop, you become a firefighter, um, you would just get your you would just get your loans wiped out. There there are ways, Michael, to do this. The fact is that you know if you're trying to get somebody to fix your air conditioning, your plumbing, to to do a hard job, to work as a nurse, you can't find enough people. So maybe I love four-year colleges. I, I, I love my four-year college, but I also went to community college in, in Florida and that changed my life. That's where I learned Spanish. That's what led me to live in Latin America. So maybe we don't all need four-year degrees. Maybe we need vocational training. Maybe we need alternate careers. Maybe need, we need a, 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 a symbol from the government that's so busy infighting that education of all kinds is important, that service of all kinds is valid. Trump was the one who dismissed, who made fun of people who go to the military. This is ridiculous. Like, what has what has happened with this country? What is, you know, we talked started talking about Roy Cohn, who called himself a great patriot. He was not a great patriot, but his belief in this country, um, this his undying belief in this country, as misguided as it was, was something that even Republicans don't have anymore. It's tragic. 
Well, actually, most people don't have it. We don't have, for example, the nationalistic um, feeling, which is what makes it so easy for this civil war that's going on right now between Republicans and Democrats, between, uh, you know, these maggots, right, and their, you know, anti-woke agenda, right, the white privilege versus, uh, you know, black, you know, black success. Uh, I mean, it's, to me, it's amazing because when you're in the trenches or you're living with somebody, you get to understand that individual, you get to understand their culture just a little bit more than if you're in your myopic, you know, homogenous community that doesn't understand anything outside of that specific community. You know, it's, it's funny, um, we've seen hundreds of movies about it, thousands of books have been written about it, but yet... You get somebody like Ron DeSantis there in Florida who now wants to start banning books and they're more worried about, you know, um, burlesque shows or transgender, you know, shows than they are worried about some guy who or some girl who wants to have um, her fifth AR-15 in their home. Because there's nothing like being Rambo and having an AR-15 in each arm with a hundred clip magazine that you can fire off at I don't know, somebody that happens to be standing on your porch because their car broke down and they want to use your phone. So right. that's, and that's, to get back to your original point, Michael, that's a legacy of my evil cousin, Roy Khan. That's a legacy. We don't even need Donald Trump. And you've talked about this. Trumpism is a problem. Trumpism means you go after weaker people. You go after minorities. You go after people who don't have a say. You divide and conquer. And this country, you would think the people who are struggling for a living, who want a better life for their kids, would come together. But no, you know, you're this race, I'm this race, I don't want to talk to you. And the, the strength of this country, and I've lived in three other countries, the strength of this country is we have people from all over who come together, who want, I actually think most people want to be good neighbors and good friends. But we have an alleged media, not really news media, that divides and we have politicians like Trump, and his acolytes, his hangers on, his minions, who are making yeah. Trumpism an enduring, enduring um, fascism. Force. Trumpism really is scary. fascism. Yep. And that's, well, and unfortunately it came from, it, it really did. I, I don't say it's hyperbole. My evil cousin who died years ago in 1986, he created this monster who you worked for. And you saw that firsthand. You saw that the Roy Cohn you met lived on, lives on in Donald Trump. Donald Trump is now what, 73 years old. And Roy Cohn died decades ago, but but Donald Trump has imbued this country with this kind of nastiness and this pettiness and this this fake patriotism, and we're dealing with that now. He's he's seventy six now, Trump, I believe, and mm-hmm. and seventy six. I'm not saying he's going to die. I'm just going to say he's going to get his due legally or or otherwise. And you just wait till he doesn't have power. You see what happens with his internacy, with his kids fighting among among each other. He's going to get his comeuppance, but it's going to take a little while longer. Well, I look forward to that day, Dave, and I want to thank you for joining me on Mea Culpa. It's a true uh, pleasure to have met you, and um, we'll definitely have you back. Uh, interesting. Michael, keep up the fight, and your your Twitter feed just makes me laugh. Like you're you're I don't know how you deal with the people and their and their comments, but you you make me laugh. I, I just want to say that I do believe in the goodness of people in this company. I do believe that businesses want the best. I do believe that that somehow, sometime in the future, we can come together, but it's not happening now.
Well, amen to that. And I will definitely be speaking to you soon. Thanks, Dave. Thank you. And now for today's mea culpa. Last September, 205 Republicans voted against a mental health bill that was meant to expand school mental health resources. Now, I can't tell you why, and the truth is, I don't even care to right now. But if Republicans don't address mental illness in schools and they can't blame guns for school shootings, maybe, I mean just maybe, they will explore ways to pass more red flag laws. In fact, the parents of the Nashville shooter had taken guns away from their troubled kid and warned authorities. But Tennessee does not have any red flag laws in place. The laws vary from state to state, but it may be time that we undertook the difficult fucking task of passing red flag laws nationally. Now, Joe Biden was out last week saying yet again that he'd like to reinstate the assault weapons ban that Republicans let lapse. The numbers are clear, it worked. So, and seriously, what's the fucking holdup? Americans overwhelmingly want stricter gun laws, so why are we letting politicians hold back the tide of progress? These politicians, who've been bought by the NRA and the other gun lobbies, are overwhelmingly Republican. And they have somehow aligned themselves with a very narrow interpretation of the Second Amendment that frankly makes no fucking sense. But to simply give up because the quote, power of evil is unstoppable is a disgusting load of shit that I just refuse to abide by. They start statements with, I'm a Christian and when I hear about these shootings, the first thing I do is pray. I don't politicize the violence, I pray. Well, fuck that, I call bullshit. And I call bullshit because I'm a Jew and I pray when incidents like the Nashville shooting occur as well. But then I do something about it. I mean, when these asshole praying people blame absolutely everything for the murders of school children, but the guns that kill them, I mean, it makes you wonder how stupid that they think that we are. And statements that blame evil people, but not the guns readily available to these evil people, give a real bad name to good Christians everywhere. Lawmakers have been voted into office to pass these laws, and when they say there is probably nothing that they can do, they are fucking lying. And we, we, my mea culpa fans, we have to call them out. We have to work the phones, and by doing that, I'm telling you, call your state representatives relentlessly. And then if nothing gets done, fucking vote them out. And while real parents in the real world are grieving for their murdered children, Fucker, fucker Carlson is sounding the alarm against guns. I mean, no, just kidding. He loves guns. It's trans people that Carlson is fucking terrified of, and now he's describing his fear of trans people as transphobia. And because the Nashville shooter was a trans individual, he's blaming that for the shooting. Trans kill those kids. I mean, are you fucking sick, Tucker? Here he was on the show Tuesday night, and I'm gonna quote, why are some trans people so crazy? I mean, Carlson then stared into the camera, imploring viewers to consider the seriousness of what he was about to say. And why do they seem to be mad specifically at traditional Christians? Maybe he'll get around to the poor dead kids another day, but in the meantime, all he's talking about is trans kids. 
I mean, the guy is just absolutely fucking bonkers. And this shit has to stop. And as always, thanks for listening. Mayor Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. Written by Jimmy Jelinek and Paula Killen. Our editor and managing producer is Lisa Orkin. Our executive producers are Jared Gustat, Jimmy Jelinek, and myself, Michael Cohen, along with Phil Alberstadt. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is still winning the war on the state and local level. Maya Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, I promise you, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Mea culpa, nothing but the truth.